morning. My name is Norbert. Welcome to Point of Grace Church. Those of you who are listening also with us and worshiping online, good morning as well. We don't usually do this, but can you say a quick nod or hello or hi to your neighbor? All right. So for the whole month of February, we're talking about this series called Perspective. Last Sunday, though, we talked about surrender. Today, I want us to talk about consecration. And by consecration, we don't mean holy, perfect, sinless. Not that kind of consecration. We want to talk about consecration that has something to do with chosen, called, separated, set apart. Consecration. A couple of years ago, I bought a bespoke suit. Now, you have probably heard about this one. It's not like the everyday clothing that you buy from the store. Uh, in fact, the cost of making a bespoke suit uh, costs more than the material itself. The making costs more. But every time I put on this suit, I feel like I'm properly dressed. And, you know, for the occasion. Because the measurements are exactly how it fits my size. The length and the width wraps around my body, wraps around every curves in my body. Until food became the priority. If you've been part of a wedding, and I know you've been, um, you must have one. You must have a dress that was tailored, made for you, or a suit that was made exactly for you. And if you appreciate dressing up and looking good, you don't just go to the store, buy a, a pair of pants, and just put it on. You go to your tailor, have it cut in the length of your lower torso, correct? Or if you you don't just really buy uh, long sleeves or a suit jacket and just and just put it on. You go to your tailor, have it cut in the exact length of your arms. Same goes with the ladies, your skirt and your pants. See, for Israel, the Bible uses the word consecration in the sense of bespoke. How is that? When God called Israel from Egypt, he chose Israel, he called Israel, he consecrated Israel, he separated Israel, and he bespoke them to a holiness that conforms to his holiness. Bespoke, consecration. So the questions are, what does consecration mean? Uh, what makes someone consecrated? What are the marks of consecration? And what does it look like to be consecrated? The story of the book of Joshua gives us the answer to this one, of all about uh, consecration. Now, to those of you who are not familiar with the story, just a quick recap. There's this people, group of people called Israel that were chosen by God and that were, was called by God from slavery. So they were slaves for 400 years until such time that God finally called them out from Egypt. And they were bought, brought all the way to the promised land. But before they even get to the promised land, they crossed the Red Sea. They were stuck in the desert. For 40 years, they were stuck in the desert. And for what reason? Because of stubbornness. They refused to enter the promised land when their spies told them that the inhabitants of the land were taller than them and ferocious. So they refused. So God punished them and made them stuck in, in the wilderness for 40 years. And then one day, God decided to set them free from the wilderness. They entered the promised land. And this time, Moses was gone. It was Joshua who was leading them. That was a quick recap of Israel. Now, they're in the promised land. 
So the first thing they did, it's uh, very interesting. The first thing they did the moment they entered the promised land is to circumcise all the males in Israel, regardless of age. Circumcision. What is this circumcision? Circumcision is the mark of their identity. See, the first generation of the Israelites never really moved on from Egypt. They were slaves for 400 years. Now imagine the trauma that brought on them. So when they escaped from Egypt, they went to the wilderness. Every time they lacked water, they lacked food, they'd always complain. And they would always go down the memory lane and reminisce their time in Egypt. They would always say, ah, it's better in Egypt. We have melons and leeks and onions and, and ramen and uh, I don't know. You know, the, the food in Egypt that they don't have in the desert. They would always say that it's better in Egypt than in the wilderness. What they're saying is that it is better to be slaves and eat something good than free but in the desert and just simply be content with what God is giving them, manna for food and water for drink. They were stuck in the desert. Their emotions were stuck also in Egypt. They still believe and act as if they were slaves in Egypt. That's their problem. See, Every time they had problems, they would always go back to their understanding of freedom, and their freedom is stuck there as slaves in Egypt. You know, this is like a relationship. If you've been in a relationship for a very long time, especially those who are single right now, and then suddenly one day you broke up. The next day you found someone and you get in that relationship. But then every time you argue and fight, you would always go back down the memory lane and say, it's better in my old relationship. What you call that, what you call that is a rebound. You haven't really moved on, really. See, the nation of Israel in 40 years in the wilderness is like a rebound. They have not moved on from their slavery. Their emotions were stuck in the desert. And that's why God had them stuck in the desert for 40 years. Until all the first generation died, the second generation, their children, were the ones who did not have the baggage, the emotional baggage and the trauma, were the ones to enter the promised land. This is the reason why the moment they entered the promised land, all the males were circumcised. It was the equivalent of a formal breakup. That's the idea here. The circumcision was the mark of their identity in Jesus, sorry, in God. See, in the ancient world, circumcision, just like skin tattoos, are the mark of a new identity. So in Egypt, they were branded as slaves. They probably have tattoos. And the moment they entered the promised land, the second generation doesn't have tattoo anymore. So God put a permanent and visible mark on their physical body, circumcision. I'm going to lead you to that circumcision, Joshua chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. It says, when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. You see, circumcision marks their new identity in God. Th there are slaves no more. That's what it means. And every household and every Jewish male knew that they are slaves no more. Circumcision was the physical symbol of their consecration because we're talking about consecration. The circumcision marks their new identity of being set apart, of being chosen, of being separated. Consecration. Circumcision, therefore, is the mark or the means of consecration. How do you know that th the, the nation of Israel is consecrated? 
because all of them, all the firstborns, were circumcised. So they entered the promised land, but the problem is there were existing inhabitants in the land. And the commandment of God is to drive out all the inhabitants of the land, and these people wouldn't just easily give up their rights. So they had to forcefully evict all the inhabitants of the land. And the first city that they attacked was a city called Jericho. There was one rule in Jericho, only one rule, and no more. All the gold, all the silver, all the bronze and iron must go to God's treasury. You cannot touch, you cannot steal, you cannot even desire because it is God's. In the same way, it is consecrated to God. You cannot have it because it is devoted to God. But there's this one guy, one guy who was also circumcised when they entered the promised land, who understood what it meant to be set apart, consecrated, separated, devoted to God, smart enough to steal something from God. And he was thinking, this is just a piece of bar of gold, some couple of silvers, and a beautiful shawl. That's it. Nothing really big. But then he violated this one rule that God gave to them. His name was Achan. We talked about him last week. How is it possible that this man who is consecrated by circumcision, whose heart is not truly consecrated for God? See, consecration is more than mere circumcision. His flesh, although it was cut, did not follow what was in his heart all along. Take, for example, your wedding ring. Who among you are married? Can you raise a hand here? Cool. Who are you still wearing your wedding ring? Cool, that's good. Cool. See, your wedding ring is the mark, on, is the mark of permanent and lasting relationship. That means the moment you put on that ring, you're saying to yourself, I am voluntarily giving up my rights as a single man or woman, and I'm binding myself to this man or woman from now on to forever. And regardless of change of waistline and the vanishing hair, it's still a permanent mark of your devotion to your spouse. See, it's, a it's permanent and it's absolute. That means even if you encounter one day a more beautiful woman, a more handsome man, you would say, without hesitation, in a heartbeat, you would say, she's beautiful, but I love my wife. Can you say that to your wife right now? Many women are beautiful, but I love you. You're unique. You're separated. You're chosen. You're for me. You are consecrated. That's what it means to be consecrated. You will say that without any hint of regret. You say amen to that. <laughs> See, that ring in your finger is the equivalent of circumcision or consecration. And it works both ways for the husband and the wife. But your loyalty is not limited to that ring. That means if you put off that ring, if you're not wearing it, it doesn't mean you became single again. Because you see, that ring is just a mark, but what happens in the heart is more important than the symbol. See, circumcision is the symbol, but consecration happens in the heart. That's loyalty. They say that marriage is like Ikea. Easy to walk into, confusing to piece together, but difficult to exit. They also say that a bad marriage is like a horrible job. You're happy to have one, but you're always looking out for other options. Is it true in you? They also say that arguing with your spouse is similar to reading the terms and conditions. You would just want to go down and click I agree at the very end. 
And they say that it's only after you get married that you realize that all these husband and wife jokes are not really jokes. They're real. To those who are still married right now and planning to stay in your marriage, I would like to congratulate you. This is a tough job. Yes. Yes. A tough job. You know what they call you? Endangered species. See, the ring in your finger is the symbol of your consecration, your devotedness, your loyalty, your being set apart. Consecration. That means every day, the Jewish men, when they look down there and they see the circumcision, they would say, I know, I know who I belong to. I belong to God. I don't belong to Egypt. I belong to God. I know my boss now is Yahweh. That's what it means to be circumcised and consecrated to them. See, circumcision must lead to consecration. Because without consecration, really, circumcision means absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Reports would say that the PPE, the personal protective equipment that they use for COVID patients, whenever they use it, are always collected and disposed, not in the garbage can, but they put it in the incinerator. They burn it. Why? because it's considered offensive and infectious. See, even a one-time use of a PPE is considered offensive and infectious. This is the same thing about the sin of Achan. He just stole once, and he just stole a bar of gold, piece of silver, and a beautiful shawl. That's it. But he was also considered, and his family, offensive and infectious. And therefore, Achan was stoned to death. And here's the principle here. If circumcision, which is Achan, does not lead to consecration because he stole, it will end up in condemnation. Are you with me? If circumcision does not lead to consecration, it will end up in condemnation. I hate to be the one to break this down to you, but if the key for Israel to receive their inheritance was to be fully consecrated to God, then that means also for us, if we are to receive the full blessings of God, we also have to be consecrated to God. Would you say amen to that? We have to be very consecrated to God. It means obedience without reservation, loyalty without compromise. This is the kind of consecration that God is asking from us. See, there just was one rule when they approached uh, Jericho. One rule. Do not take anything that is devoted. The gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron. You there are many other battles, but this one is for God. See, it's the same thing with Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3. There's only one rule in the Garden of Eden. Do not eat from this fruit, just from this tree. Do not eat it. And yet, Eve was smart enough to eat from that tree. And it cost them their life. Joshua chapter 8 is about the time when they had learned their lesson. So they won against Jericho, but they lost at Ai, the second city. But when they dealt with Achan and consecrated themselves one more time, the second time they won. So the second time they attacked the city of Ai, there was no march, there was no blasting of trumpets, there was no intimidation, there was no prayer walk, so to speak. They just did the old trick, ambushed the enemy. And so they won. The last two verses of chapter 8 goes like this. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. 
And at sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones which stands there to this day. Three things that he did. He burned AI, he hanged the king, took it down before sunset, and buried it in front of the city gate. This is very interesting. To put it in perspective, we're talking about consecration. If consecration means putting a distance between the sinner and the sacred, Israel, by hanging the king of Ai and burning the city of Ai, are putting a distance between themselves who are consecrated and the sinner, who is the king of Ai and the city of Ai. They are consecrating themselves. They are consecrating the land that God promised for them. See, the burning of the city and the hanging of the king of Ai eliminate anything that is unfit for God's use, unholy and unredeemed. And by raising a heap of stones and making it a city of ruins, Israel has faithfully separated themselves from the enemy. So the city of Ai became the city of ruins. In fact, Ai means ruins. So it's redundant to say it's the city of Ai, city of ruins. Because Ai means ruins. Ruins means wasteland, deserted land, cursed land. This place is not fit to live. Why? Because it is a place of ruins. Ukraine and Russia right now are having trouble. There's a city in north of Ukraine. It's called Chernobyl. You might probably have heard about this one. There was a power plant in Chernobyl that exploded in 1986. About 31 people died. About 400,000 people were affected by the radiation, and about 8.4 million were displaced because of the explosion of this power plant. And there was a 20-mile radius that's still considered to be, up to today, radioactive and unfit to live. That makes Chernobyl still a place of ruins. I happened to be in Fukushima, Japan, a couple of years ago. For two things. Number one, because of the ramen. Uh, they have a, a very special ramen called Kitakata ramen. I haven't found this here in the United States. Uh, it's very unique in um, Fukushima. The second uniqueness of Fukushima, if you know, in 2011, because of the tsunami, their nuclear power plant also exploded. And about, about 15,000 people died and 47,000 people were displaced. Up until today, it's still considered ruins. I was there, I was about to take the tour, but the requirement is that I put on a radioactive suit. And I realized I still want to live, so <laughs> I passed on the, the tour. I mean, it's a place of ruins. The scientists say that it is considered ruins for the next 100 years more. Ruins, unfit to live. See, what I'm thinking is that there are certain things in our lives that are considered to be in the place of ruins. Things that we must consider burying under the things, under the heap of stones, and considered ruins. Because until we do, until we bury them, until we don't do that, it's still very much part of us. There are things in our lives that should be in the place of ruins. And burying them, and by burying them, I don't mean your husband, I mean the things that should be in the ruins, what are those things? Those are the memories of those people who hurt you. Those are the memories of the regrets of the what-ifs in your lives. Those are the bitterness that you carry, the fear of uncertainty, and the pain of losing someone. 
those things that keep you from really experiencing the fullness of the blessings of God. There are many things still we carry, just like the nation of Israel that they carry in the wilderness. They cannot move on because they were carrying the trauma of Egypt. I believe that we as Christians, although we were forgiven, we were free from sin, but still we carry. And it's sometimes hard to let go of these things. These things, brothers and sisters, belong to the place of ruins. Think about it. Until the people of Israel dealt with Achan, Jericho, and Ai, until they buried them under a heap of stones and made the city a place of ruins, they could never experience the fullness of God's blessing. Until this is done, they will never experience moving on. And make no mistake, we are the same with the people of Israel. This is so serious. This feeling, this all these feelings of bitterness is summed up in this word bitterness. It's so serious that the book of Hebrews even took time to mention this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many becomes defiled. See, if we still carry that bitterness, that memory that should be in the place of ruins, we become defiled instead of we being consecrated. It breaks us down. It destroys us. It's, it's time to let go. It belongs to the place of ruins. That means the longer we keep them, the more we are closer to being defiled because the opposite of defilement is consecration. And in order for us to experience the fullness of God's blessings, we must bury what belongs to the place of ruins. Are you still with me? Let's talk about the tree of Ai. The last verse of Joshua says that Joshua hanged the king of Ai on a tree. It's very specific. He could have said he killed the king of Ai, but he hanged the king of Ai on a tree. And then before sunset, he brought it down, and then he buried it in front of the city gate, outside the city gate. Why? The answer lies in the different passage in the scriptures, Deuteronomy chapter 21, 22, and 23. It said, and if a man has committed the crime punishable by death, and he's put to death, you hang him on a tree. That means hanging on a tree is a capital punishment. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. That means you give the capital punishment to a person who murdered, probably, if that's the crime. And then you hang him on a tree. God honors that judgment and give him gives him the curse, makes it a symbol of a curse. It said, you shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. You take down the body before sunset, because if you let him rot in the tree, the land will be defiled. That's the idea of Deuteronomy chapter 21. It's the same principle that they did to the king of Ai. Hang the king of Ai, a symbol of God's curse. Brought it down before sunset so the land is not defiled. But one thing that they did is to bury the king of Ai under the heap of ruins outside the city gate. Why is that? This is very interesting. There is a protocol for the consecration of priests. And I'm going to answer that through this one. So a priest, before he becomes a priest, he's an ordinary person. But when he takes on that calling, he becomes a priest, and it's, an, it's a permanent calling. All right. So when a priest is consecrated for that calling, it, we call that ordination, 
he's instructed to bring a bull, slaughter a bull in front of the tabernacle, get all the blood, the kidneys, uh, the liver, and the fat, burn it on top of the altar. But the flesh and the skin, they bring outside the city and burn it separately. All right, this makes sense? Does it make sense, really? But you see, this picture, what they do to the bull, is the picture of what they did to the king of Ai. They brought the king of Ai's body outside the city gate and buried it under the heap of stones. That's the protocol of consecration. This king of Ai was consecrated in a way that it will be remembered as the place of ruins, Ai. See, this protocol of consecration as well is what they did to pointing to the next king, the ultimate king, just like the king of Ai. There is this protocol of consecration that points to the king that the Jews rejected, the king that Judas betrayed, the king that his 11 other disciples abandoned in the Garden of Gethsemane. It points to this king whom Pilate condemned, whom the soldiers crucified on the cross. This king, who was also brought on a tree, bore the curse and died with that curse. And the Bible said that he was also buried outside the city gate. We understand this. Last week we said that Jesus, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus was in Golgotha, and Golgotha is outside the city gate. His entombment, where he was also uh, retired, is also in the garden outside of Gethsemane, outside of the city gate. See, it's the same thing. The king of Ai, who represented his people, <coughs> excuse me, and become consecrated, is the same that happened to Jesus. This king is the one that is being portrayed as a consecrated king. This is so real that even the book of Hebrews again mentioned this. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the city gate in order to sanctify. Sanctify is another word for consecration. The people through his own blood. Are you following this? So the king of Ai was, was hanged on a tree and was buried outside the city gate. Jesus also was, was crucified and buried outside the city gate so that we, that we can be sanctified, so that we can be consecrated to God. In the time of Jesus, Augustus Caesar, then emperor, uh, elevated himself to the status of divine. In fact, he took the title, the son of God. Uh, it's very interesting how he did it. But every Roman citizen loyal to the emperor must declare allegiance to the emperor unequivocally. But there is this centurion, the one who presided over, over the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, who had a change of heart. And his realization about Jesus Christ did not come when Jesus was being mocked or when Jesus was being flogged or when Jesus was asking for water because he was thirsty. His realization came when Jesus breathed his last. See, against his better judgment, this centurion, who have seen countless of crucifixion, although he has sworn an oath of loyalty to Caesar as the son of God, on the death of Jesus Christ, he looked at the body of Jesus Christ and he declared, truly this man is the son of God. So I'm kind of thinking, what is it in the death of Jesus Christ that changed his mind? 
what is it in the death of Jesus Christ that convinced him? What gives? If there's anything, the Gospel of Matthew says that this centurion happened to experience three things before the death of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure you know this. Number one, there was darkness from 12 noon to 3 p.m. Darkness. Second, there was an earthquake right after. And third, according to the Bible, the tombs were split open. Now, for any, for any Roman citizen, they understand this very well. But for us, maybe it's too difficult because to us, it means nothing. But to a Roman citizen, this is spiritual and cultural. See, for them, darkness means the heavens collapsed. For a Roman citizen, earthquake means the peace in the land was shaken. And for a Roman citizen, when the tombs were open, the people were released from the underworld or from Hades. See, the god of the sky is Jupiter. The god of the land and the sea is Neptune. The god of the underworld is Pluto. And for a Roman citizen, this makes sense. That means the one who's dead, hanging on the tree, his death marked a deconstruction and reconfiguration of earth and heaven, death and life. This means a lot to them. So he declared, truly, this man is the son of God. It's confusing, but you see, he understood. It means it's not just an insignificant death. He really died. He was really innocent. He was really the son of God, not the emperor. This man is the real son of God. The deaths of Achan and the deaths of the king of Jericho and Ayar were all pointing towards the death of this ultimate king. The king who fought against all kinds of evil while hanging on the cross. Jesus Christ on the cross, you see, bore the curse. He was hanged on a tree. He bore the curse. And with that curse came the reproach of sin, the pain of betrayal, the bitterness of abandonment, and the ugliness and filth of human depravity. He was marked for death so that we can bear the mark of life. His body once lie in that tomb. But on Sunday morning, he rose from the grave. Brothers and sisters, his resurrection is the basis of our consecration. We are not consecrated for nothing. Our consecration is real because Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. But you see, again, this is a challenge for all of us here today. If this consecration is real, it means nothing if we still decide to live among the ruins. And many of us are. The reason why, you see, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The reason why Jesus taught us that is because he does not want us to live among the ruins. See, consecration means we bury our past, we bury our sorrows, our regrets, our bitterness among the ruins. That means, in practicality, you will have to forgive those people who caused that hurt, that sorrow, that pain. There's no option for that. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. See, our forgiveness depends on our forgiveness of others. And if you haven't forgiven, then I'm sorry to say, God will not forgive you. Because that's the requirement for forgiveness. And probably the hardest part is forgiving yourself. Forgiving yourself of the regrets in life. 
the bitterness that is caused by, I wish I did that. And it's causing you the trouble and the pain in your heart. All these memories, all these feelings, all these hurts, all this bitterness must lie among the ruins. If we are to truly experience the blessing of God, the full blessing of God, we have to bury them among the ruins. And this one challenge is very hard to do. See, the Israelites are meant to live in the land flowing with milk and honey, not among the ruins. And I'm thinking the same thing. We Christians, we the church, are meant to live also experiencing the full blessings of God here on earth, even temporarily. You are meant to live in the land flowing with milk and honey, not the place of ruins. But until you give it up, until you give up that bitterness, that pain, that sorrow, that regret, you will never experience the full blessing of God. This, brothers and sisters, is what consecration is all about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for allowing us to move forward. Just like the nation of Israel, after Jericho, after Ai, after burying the kings and making this place a ruin, I pray, Father, that you will allow us to fully understand and appreciate the inheritance that we have in you. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to experience all this because you are allowing us to experience it now. So, Father, I pray that you will allow us also to make a decision so that we can bury what belongs to the place of ruins. Allow us, Father, break our hearts, break our will, Allow us to forgive others. Allow us to forgive ourselves. And Father, we accept your forgiveness. We confess to you that sometimes our hearts are hard. Our hearts may be circumcised, but it's not fully consecrated. Father, today, will you allow us to be fully consecrated to you? Set apart, chosen, separated, consecrated just for you.